Well, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I know this is like, you guys can just kind of work your way to your seats. I know this is a little strange. I'm actually like starting a minute early, which is almost maybe sacrilegious for the vineyard. I don't know. There may, you know, it might be a little bit strange, but we'll, that's okay. We'll get past it. Let's not put God nor us in a box, right? So we'll just, we're going to go ahead and kind of get started here as people are finding their way to their seats. I'd just like to welcome everybody this morning. Um, thank you guys for being here. Um, this morning is going to be a little bit different than our typical Sunday morning. As you guys know, we've been going through Heroes of the Faith. Um, the first week that I talked about Mr. C.S. Lewis, who anybody who knows me knows I am a gigantic fanboy of. Um, last week, Dave spoke about Mother Teresa, and this week we're going to be talking about Fannie Lou Hamer. And then next week, we're going to be talking about Corey Ten Boom, who is another one of my like all-time favorite kind of people of faith. Um, as we talk about some of these things, and... Um, the situations that they lived through. Um, I just, I kind of, I guess, wanted you guys to know, and you may have experienced this already as we're kind of going through the series, you might find that some of your sacred cows are being brought to slaughter. Um, it happens sometimes as we're looking at these people's lives. You know, next, uh, for those of you next week, um, Corrie Ten Boom, she lived through Nazi Germany. And so there's, we'll be touching on aspects of authoritarianism and fascism and, and kind of her response to that and how she lived through that and how she, you know, I have to say honestly with, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be talking about Fanny here all morning, so I'm just kind of giving a preview of next week. Corey Ten Boom has a level of forgiveness and love and just like being able to see things from somebody else's perspective that I I don't know if I'll ever get, like, unless I lived through what she lived through. But I mean, she was able to forgive people who literally slaughtered her family and imprisoned her people and put them in ovens. And I mean, just all of this stuff. And she still was able to somehow find Jesus for them in her heart. And it's just incredible to me. So anyway, there's your preview for next week. Um, this week, we're going to be having some discussion about racism because Fannie Lou Hamer lived through some incredibly difficult things that happened to her as a black woman. And so we're going to be touching on those things. I feel like the gospel speaks to all these things, that the Bible has something to say about our current times, the times we've lived through, and our history, both as a nation and as a people of God. And so we shouldn't shy away from these things. Um, I don't think that's God's heart. And, you know, the, the civil rights movement in the United States um, was primarily birthed out of Christian people. And it was churches and and people of faith who were standing up and saying, this isn't the heart of God. This isn't what God wants. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning. There's enough of my preview. I had a couple extra minutes since I got up here early and Ryan cut off the music. Uh, so there you go. Um, I'm going to open up in a word of prayer and we're going to jump in. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Oh, thank you, Lord. 
Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit, God. Lord, may we be a people who, just like you, that we do what it is we see the Father doing. God, that's all we want. That's all we want as a church. That's all we want as followers of Jesus is, Lord, to see what you're doing and join with you in bringing the kingdom to bear on a world that so desperately needs it, God. So, Lord, could we be a people of courage? Could we be a people of strength? Could we be a people who, who are willing to get a little bit dangerous with our lives to take risks? Lord, I remember John Wimber once saying that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Lord, help us, teach us, show us how to be a people who are willing to risk for you, God, that people could come to know the loving embrace of Jesus and a God who loves them so much and has so much good for them, God. Lord, can we be your representatives in that way, Jesus? Amen. I'm fighting a little bit of a fall thing this morning, so... I've got my water here on standby. If I'm taking a pause for those of you who are watching online, uh, it's that. So this morning we're going to be talking about Fannie Lou Hamer. Fannie Lou Hamer isn't necessarily as well known as some others. Um, as I was looking at people of faith to talk about, what would be the easy one? Anybody? Martin Luther King Jr., who's like street right outside of us is named that, right? That'd be pretty easy. Um, so, because I'm how God made me, I chose not to do Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I wanted to talk about Fannie Lou Hamer. So most Americans profoundly underappreciate the contributions of Fannie Lou Hamer. Her name's not as celebrated as some other civil rights icons. Russell Moore says, but it should be. Russell Moore, who's somebody I actually deeply respect and follow on multiple platforms, uh, he's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Russell Moore is a really stand-up guy. He has taken all kinds of heat from his own people in his pursuit of the integrity of how he views the gospel. He really has. He's had people <laughs> just literally rip him apart. But he's like, this is who I see Jesus as and who we as followers of Jesus should be. Um, and so Russell Moore is somebody I deeply respect. And so as I was going and looking at people to discuss and to talk about, I thought, well, let's take a look at Russell Moore and see who he has discussed. And this was one of the people he chose. And so I started investigating and researching her. And her life story, the challenges she overcame, the things that she went through are incredible. So let's start getting into that. Fannie Lou Hamer was a committed Christian who believed the Bible taught the dignity of all of those made in the image of God. And she suffered a lot for it. She was born in a poor sharecropper's family in 1917. She did manual labor with her parents as early as six years old. She was out there working the fields at six. 
And in order to help her family, she had to do this to even cover their most basic expenses. And so because they couldn't make ends meet, she dropped out of school at the age of 12 because they needed the money more than they needed her to go to school. So she dropped out, worked for her family. With just a sixth grade education, Hamer would languish as a sharecropper for the next several decades. There is a story she tells about how she went and registered to vote. This isn't in my notes, but since I researched her, I have it in my head, and for some reason the Lord brought it up, so I'm talking about it. She was working for this man in a plantation, and she read, they finally got the opportunity to register to vote, and so she registered to vote. And as soon as she did, she was confronted by the man she was working for, this the guy who owned the plantation. And he told her, if you want to keep your job, you need to not vote. And she refused. And so he kicked her and her husband out of their jobs and off the plantation, and they had to go find work, simply because she registered to vote. So as we're in this election season, do not take for granted your right and your opportunity to vote. I'm not going to stand here and tell you who to vote for. I don't do that. But you have a right and you have a responsibility as someone who's born in the United States. So many people fought and died for your ability to register to vote and to vote. So I encourage you to do that. She literally lost her job. They lost their livelihood. They lost their home because she wanted to vote. Don't take it for granted. Sorry, I'm preaching on that, but that's not what I came to preach on. Um, so anyway, uh, Hamer would be further victimized when doctors sterilized her without her consent when she went in for a minor procedure in 1961. There were thousands of poor and black women across the South who experienced the same fate. In Mississippi, sterilizations, forced, steriliz forced sterilizations were so common that Hamer referred to them as Mississippi appendectomies because it was so common that against their will, their wombs were removed because these medical people felt like from their position of racism that they needed to basically call the herd was one of the terms as I was researching this. It was used. Because there were becoming too many black people in the South. And so without their consent, they would remove their womb. Tragically, in the news recently here, in 2020, Don Wooten, a nurse working at an ICE detention center in Georgia, filed a whistleblower complaint because they were doing forced appendectomies. We don't always learn from our history. As Christians, as people who follow Jesus Christ. 
This should cause us to stand up and take notice. The prophet Isaiah says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and the widow's cause. It's in Isaiah 1:17. I like the part where the prophet Isaiah says here, learn to do good. Sometimes the reason we don't do good is because we don't know about something or we don't understand something or we don't have the full grasp or depth of something. And so we have to educate ourselves as to what the Lord's will might be, as to what's happening in our world. Uh, uh, Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline, in one of the disciplines where he's talking about the discipline of prayer, he said he starts his morning with his Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other and approaches prayer. Lord, as I see this happening in the world today, what does your word say? And how do I pray into that as a person of faith? Just simply burying our head and ignoring what's going on in the world won't fix anything. It won't correct anything. And how, how do we pray about something if we don't know about it? If, if we willfully choose to ignore it? And guys, I'm going to tell you, it's hard for me because I'm an empath. I'm somebody who, like, I feel what other people are feeling. And, like, it, it, it's, sometimes it's tangible. It weighs on me. And I can only handle so much yuck. I mean, I just, you know, there's, I... I you know, I, I'm just speaking personally, I, I reach a certain level and then I'm overwhelmed. And I imagine some of you guys are, are like that as well. You can only handle so much of the um, injustice until you're, you get overwhelmed. So that's when we have to stop, and that's when we have to pray, and that's when we have to give it to God. Listen to your soul. Listen to your heart. Listen to what the Lord is speaking to you. And then start giving that to the Lord. If something is weighing on you really heavily about an area of an injustice or oppression in the world, then listen to that voice. That might be the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, intercede, pray, bring the kingdom of God to bear on that situation. Let's continue on. Hamer's life changed dramatically after she attended her first student nonviolent coordinating committee meeting in 1962 animated by her passion for the lord and hatred for injustice she became a zealous advocate for the enfran disenfranchisement sorry i wrote that wrong disenfranchisement oh no for the enfranchisement and empowerment of the south black communities I got myself twisted around there that's okay it happens sometimes for the next several years Hamer's life would only become more difficult. In 1963, she and others were arrested in Charleston, South Carolina, after deciding to sit at the bus station's white-only counter. That was just 1963. You know, in my lifetime, just in, in Dusty's lifetime, which I'm, I'm 50 now, I can own that. But in the last 50 years, it was illegal for a black person and a white person to marry. Just in my lifetime, I have friends 
who would be breaking the law. As I was thinking about this, I thought about my friends John and Amy Balmer. Like their marriage would be illegal. Just in my lifetime. We like to think that this is some way long ago past thing that, that we really have no grasp of and we're just so much better now. And we, we are better. I do believe that when MLK was talking about the, the, the arc of just, uh, of just, you know, the arc of time um, arcs towards justice, I do believe we become more just over time. I do, I do believe that, like, as, as the Lord works on us, that we become better. I do. I do believe that. But we can't forget the struggles that are just, they're really not that long ago. Once she was imprisoned, guards and other inmates beat her so badly that many of her injuries were permanent. For the rest of her life, she would bear the physical scars of racial hatred, kidney damage, a permanent blood clot in her left eye, and she, for the rest of her life, walked with a limp. See, she wasn't very good at standing down. <laughs> she, would, she says this in her own words. She says, you know, a lot of times someone else would be beaten and she would step in. And a lot of her injuries came from somebody else being beaten and she got in the middle of it. And so they took it out on her instead of them because she was shielding them. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine some of the things she went through. And yet she still believed in that image of God in everybody. She still believed, she still had hope. After all of this had happened, she said the following, hate won't only destroy us, it will destroy these people that's hating as well. Righteousness exalts a nation. Hate just makes people miserable. And that's still true today. So my, one of my encouragements to you this morning, because there are such great um, ideological and political divisions in our nation today, do not allow your your stand, where, where you believe you are. Do not allow that to turn to hate because that is not of the Lord. Righteousness, as Fannie Lou Hamer said. And listen, she's saying all of this after she got out of prison, after she was beaten, after she was kicked out of that white's only lunch counter, after she was permanently injured for the rest of her life. She states, Hate just makes people miserable. Do not allow yourself to get to that place. It's not of God. It's not the heart of Jesus. It's not the Lord's will for you. She spent her whole life standing up for injustice and still spoke, do not hate. It kind of reminded me of Jesus himself hanging on the cross. And what were some of the very last words that he spoke about the people who put him there. As he was hanging there, he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? Keep that in your heart. 
So she didn't let these things stop her. Not even a little bit. It only like drove her to fight harder. So she founded the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party in 1964, a group formed in response to the all-white delegation that the Mississippi Democratic Party sent to the Democratic National Convention that year. She thought, here's this whole group of people. She says in her own words, and ain't one of them black. How are they supposed to represent us when they're not us? So she formed her own party. She's like, fine, you don't want me to be part of you? We'll make our own. And then they went there. During the live broadcast, I love this, in the 1960s, you know, they didn't have that like five-second gap thing that we have today. During the live broadcast, Hamer described the beatings that she had received in prison and the plight of America's most marginalized citizens. She stated, we serve God by serving our fellow man. Kids are suffering from malnutrition. People are going to the field hungry. If you are a Christian, so she's speaking to her own people, if you are a Christian, we are tired of being mistreated. Hamer cried as she implored white believers around the country to take action. She cried for help. It's like, we can't do this on our own. We still hear cries today. Jesus said in Luke, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's not an either-or. You know, one thing I've noticed, particularly in the United States, is sometimes we feel like we're doing justice just by throwing money at something. Right? I've done it. I've totally done it. Like, oh, I'm not too bad. I gave money to this thing, or I helped out with this thing. Or, you know, Jesus is saying it's not just enough to throw money at something. You got to get off your tail and you got to do something about it too. It should be a both and, not an either or. It should be a both and. She taught her volunteers her favorite spirituals and sang when she was invited to speak at churches. Miss Hamer rose this reporter's reporting on this. Miss Hamer rose majestically to her feet, wrote Tracy Sugarman, a volunteer and journalist in Mississippi. Her magnificent voice rolled through the chapel as she enlisted the biblical ranks of martyrs and heroes to summon these folk to her freedom banner. Her mounting, rolling battery of quotations and allusions from the Old and New Testaments stunned the audience with its thunder. And although she passed away in 1977, her passion 
for gospel justice still continues to inspire millions of people today. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a command of God himself to do what is good, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk in humility before our God and before our fellow man. So what are we to do, church? What are we to do after examining this hero of the faith who was literally beaten and spit on, abused and mocked, all because she believed in the Imagio Dei, this image of God that exists in all of us, in all mankind. I think about the song, you know, when I was a kid, red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight. God loves all the children of the world. That image of God in all of us. She's someone who took up the battle and demanded that that image of God be honored. And if I'm being honest for myself, this is tough. I look at the American church that all too often views everything through the lens of a particular political party instead of the gospel, both left and right instead of viewing it through the gospel. And it makes me feel a little hopeless sometimes. Like, who are we? Are we liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party, Populist, Socialist? Like, what are we? For me? For who I am? I want to be child of God. I want to be son of the Most High. I want to be follower of Jesus first. I want to own the gospel of Jesus Christ and have that be my primary identity. I want to be a person who works and strives for bringing the kingdom of God to bear on a broken world who needs it so badly. The gospel means good news. So we should be people of good news. We should be the people who are bringing the good news. If people don't want to interact with you because you are so volatile and you are so strident, for people to listen to your voice and what you believe and what you think instead of what Jesus might believe and what Jesus might think. If, it, if it's your opinion and I'll just burn everything else or anyone else to the ground who opposes me, that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of Jesus. It's not what the Lord wants for you. It's not what he wants for his kingdom. It's not what he wants for the church. So I just my encouragement to you this morning is remember your primary allegiance. And our primary allegiance has to be the kingdom of God. Our primary allegiance has to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Emmanuel, God who is with us. One of the names of God is Jehovah Nisi. It means God whose banner stands above us. The banner above us should be Jesus Christ. Not any political party, not any particular person, not a politician. It should be Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And anything and anyone who is taking the place of Jesus Christ in your life is an anti-Christ. It is anti-Jesus. And so as we enter into this difficult season that we're entering in, and to be honest, have been in for a long time, I want you to just remember to keep Jesus first. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Because he is the only one who deserves your honor and your glory and your commitment. He is the only one who will never leave us and never fail us. Jesus Christ alone. Little P.S., posting on social media and fighting is not going to actually fix anything or change anyone's hearts and minds. I encourage you, what conversations and changes in real life to people you actually know can you make happen? What relationships do you have where you can bring the Lord to bear? Is there something that you deeply care about? Something that you feel is unjust in your world? Then have a conversation with somebody that you actually know rather than fighting with some troll on Facebook who's simply there to tick you off. Have an actual conversation with somebody. Have somebody over for dinner who has a different perspective or viewpoint than you. Share a meal together and have a conversation. That's my encouragement to you. Sometimes our, our current state of social media, um, it's, it's not in my notes, but it, it reminds me of um, the quote from Shakespeare in Macbeth. Um, it's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, yet signifying nothing. How much does that sound like our current politicians, right? A tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, yet it signifies nothing. Across the board. I'm not pinning that on any one person. Across the board. So have those real, in life, in person conversations. And hear each other's hearts. I think most of you will find that even people who are politically in completely different places, if we're both followers of Jesus, there is way more that binds us together than separates us. And it's the purpose of the enemy, the devil, and it's the purpose of people in our society to divide us and to separate us. And if they can do that, then we can't advance the kingdom of God because we're so busy fighting with each other. Let's not let that happen. Sometimes when I'm feeling really despondent, I go looking and praying for a sign. I need some kind of signal that, God, you haven't just abandoned us to our sin. That it is possible, in the words of one Samwise Gamgee, that everything sad can come to untrue. That those things that make me sorrowful, those things that hurt me, those things that I'm like, Jesus, it will just never get better. That maybe that can be untrue. 
Maybe it can. Maybe God can change us. Maybe God can bring us together. Maybe God, in his infinite power and knowledge and wisdom, can actually heal our world and heal our nation and heal our community here in Yakima. I want to find room for hope, even when reasons for it seem in really short supply. I, so I got this tattooed on my arm. It's an anchor with the word hope across it. Because it's just, for the last few years, I've just been struggling with hope. Like, and feeling like, like things might change. Like, I'm like, God. And so I, honestly, this is going to sound really weird, but I felt like the Lord was like, well, why don't you get like a reminder that you can't, you literally can't get rid of. <laughs> and you can look down and say, okay, I have to remain anchored in hope. Where can we go but to Jesus himself? Fannie Lou, Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King Jr., and many other saints all had a deep faith and a hope in the Lord that he would redeem and change things. Psalms 121.1 says this, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord. I can put my hope in him and it's safe. It's hard to keep fighting if we don't have hope. We can make lots of promises about social unity that we often lack the power to actually make happen. But a God who has defeated death, who's resurrected, and has called to himself a people who understand the full scope of that they that Jesus died and there was great despair and yet death could not hold him and we are a resurrection people along with him we can have hope because even death is not the end even death is not the end and the full scope of the victory of God so i read the whole bible and i got to that end part and god wins in case you haven't read to the end yet. Um, spoilers, my Doctor Who fans. Jesus wins. God wins. His victory is unstoppable. Let's remember that resurrection of Jesus. The people who followed Jesus, you know, they were so broken. This, this Jewish and Roman power structure it appeared to have triumphed over Jesus and his people. It appeared to have triumphed over this king of the Jews as they mockingly put above his head. But death could not hold him. The resurrection came. 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. 
Jesus himself is alive and embodies a hope that we can cling to. A hope that things will get better. That even those things inside of us or inside of our society that might appear dead, that God can bring them back and give us hope. That belief and hope in an unstoppable God is precisely what made the early church so difficult for the authorities to control. It made them dangerous. Can we get dangerous? Can we be dangerous today? Can we have the type of hope that makes us difficult to control? It's my prayer. One final statement by Ms. Hamer. There's one thing you got to learn about our movement. Three people are better than no people. Even if it's just a handful of us, even just a handful of you this morning within the sound of my voice or watching online, stand up. And we stand up against injustice and we stand up against hopelessness and we stand up against those, those powers and principalities and forces which seek to divide and to destroy us, even if it's just a handful of us standing up against that, it's better than no one standing. It reminded me, just in this moment, there was this, I don't know all the words, but this old song by Rich Mullins. And he said, if I stand, let me stand on on the hope that is you. Can we stand on the hope that is Jesus Christ? That's my prayer. I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'll ask the worship team to come up. Lord Jesus, Holy Father, Holy Spirit, would you come right now in this moment? Come to us, Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would stir hearts and you would stir minds. Lord, everyone who was listening to me this morning, who, who they felt a stirring in their heart, they felt a prompting by you, Holy Spirit, to act. Lord, I ask that you would keep that fire lit. I ask that you would stoke that fire, God. Lord, I ask that we would be able to step out in faith and that we would be able to risk, God. Jesus, we thank you that you say you never leave us and you never forsake us, that you're with us always, even to the end of the age. And so we know we don't walk alone. So Lord, I pray for courage. I pray for strength. I pray for fearlessness. I pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, in each and every person, Jesus. Lord, that we could hear the voice of the Father, and we could hear the voice of the Father in the cries for those crying out for justice. Lord, could we hear their voice? And Lord, would you show us how to respond? Would you show us how to respond, Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Amen.